Good morning. You're not that nervous, are you? No, no, not not at all. Um, actually, let me uh, just thank you for all for being here. I can't believe you people want to listen to me. But uh, not nervous. I'm just overwhelmed by the grace of God and, and His story in my life. Some of you know my story. Um, and this is a place I never thought I would be again. Uh, I, I finished school in 92 and took a job as a youth pastor. And I did church work for two years. And uh, just because of the way life works out sometimes, and sometimes when we don't do the thing God pulls us into, um, things don't always go well for us. And uh, I left ministry 15 years ago. Uh, now a software tester. I'm a professional geek. But this is something that I used to do and... I never thought I'd get to do it again. So I truly am in awe of the grace of God that he would give me this opportunity to stand here before you this morning. And I thank Joel for asking me to do that because this is, this is a very special place and I take this very seriously, sharing the word of God with you. And I like what Joel talked about, about what we're trying to do here at Midtown 12 South, about being a community of people that are involved in each other's lives, that are changing the neighborhood around us and reaching out to the world. That's why I wrote up here mission. That's what we're going to talk about today. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 is what Joel has asked me to talk to you about. So we're going to dive into that. But before I do, if I say the word mission statement, what does that mean to you? You think cheesy? How many of you are Dilbert fans? You got any Dilbert fans in here? You know, Dilbert has some great business speak type of humor, and and I love that business speak. I'm also an MBA student, so the the, the business geeky speak that they do, the the made up silly words that are nonsensical to the rest of the non business world, I really love that stuff. And I found two mission statements online. Um, I don't know if they're real or made up. Listen to these. We have committed to synergistically fashion high quality products so that we may collaboratively provide access to market-leading leadership in order to solve business problems. Is that nonsense or what? And that might be real. I can't tell. That's what's funny is I can't tell. And here's another one. Our challenge is to assertively network economically sound methods of empowerment so that we may continually negotiate performance-based infrastructures. Is that a joke or is that real? Mission statements, I think a a lot of companies just did one, threw one out there to sound good. But they're really meaningless. Most people, if you ask them, what's your company's mission statement? They don't know. And it's kind of become a joke in the business world. But mission is important. And I think that's something that we need to be talking about here in the church. Mission is so important. I've got three things I just want to talk about mission and just remember these. It's who we are. It tells us what kind of people we are. It tells us what we do. You know, what are the activities we're involved in? What, what are we going about in our daily life? And it tells us why we do what we do. So it's who we are, what we do, and why we do it. And with that in mind, let's look at Acts chapter 6. In those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews 
that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on him. So the word of God was spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When I read that... After Joel said, this is your passage, I I really had to think hard about it. Because this is one of those scriptures I've probably read by a hundred times in my lifetime. And I'm wondering, why is that even there? You know, chapter before, Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin. And they're telling the gospel to the Sanhedrin. And they're getting a beating. And it's like, we can identify with that. That's a great Bible story. And then in chapter 7, Philip... I'm sorry, Stephen is going to be in front of the Jewish people telling them again the story of redemption from Abraham to Jesus. It's an amazing sermon, one of my favorite in the whole Bible. And that is just an inspiring sermon. But here, we've got some widows who aren't getting their Meals on Wheels visits, and we need to come up with a system to make sure that those deliveries get made. Is that what's happening here? Is this just a little bit of an administrative trivia? The early church setting up operating procedure? You know, if you read by this really quick, it looks like, okay, we've got a problem. Widows don't have food. Um, let's see, we're the apostles. We've, we've got some preaching to do. We just don't have time to be messing with this. Why don't we get these other guys to help? And everything's going to be good. We'll get uh, the food to the widows and check. That's done. Now we can get on with real church business. I mean, is, is, is that what we think when we read through this? Or is there so much more that's going on here? And I, I think there is. You know, what's going on? Why did the Spirit move in this time and in this place to bring about what some would call the appointment of the first deacons? You know, what was going on here? Why did Luke think it was important enough to include in the book of Acts? It's obviously not just a little bit of church operations they had to take care of. There's something a lot bigger going on here. And what I want to look at this is in the context of the bigger picture of Acts, where the church has exploded. I'll call it the pre-Stephen and the post-Stephen church. Um, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit. The guy that denied Jesus three times stands up in front of thousands of people and tells the story of Jesus. Tells them they were responsible and that they have to repent. And thousands became Christ followers that day. In Acts chapter 3, the teaching continues. The community grows. Acts chapter 4, we see more teaching. We see the persecution begin. The Jewish leaders aren't really sure about this new Jesus community. And they warn them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Acts chapter 5, we get the Ananias and Sapphira story, which that's interesting, and Joel talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then we see the persecution gets worse. They're beaten and told, don't do this again. Stop teaching about this guy called Jesus. And they gave them a flogging. 
And in Acts chapter 7, one chapter after, Stephen stands up before the Jewish people again, tells his story of the gospel, and they stone him to death. That's the first half. The second half then becomes when the persecution really kicks into high gear. Some crazy young guy named Saul starts rounding up, persecuting, killing, beating Christians. The rest of the chapter, the church is scattered. That persecution causes the church to scatter to Judea, Samaria, into Africa, into Asia, into Europe. I mean, we're starting to talk about the continents we know now. What was the civilized world back then? And when Jesus said, go into all the world, they didn't know it was going to start like this. That the persecution was going to send them running out of Jerusalem because it just wasn't safe anymore. And isn't that just beautiful how the Lord works? That what Satan meant for evil, the killing and the persecution of Christians, causing them to scatter. You can imagine he was just thinking, well, if they just leave Jerusalem and get away from the apostles, I can crush this thing now. The Lord's up there in his sovereign will going, okay, I'm going to spread out my people all over the world. That's how we're going to share the gospel story. So within the context of that, the birth of the church and now the scattering of the church throughout all the world we see this event happening right between those two instances. And so this was a time of great growth. So why is this important? A time of growth in the church. The widows were not being fed. Actually, the Grecian widows were not being fed. And that's very important here. Because the Hebrew widows were still getting their food. You know, you could say there's even some hints of racism there. That the Jewish Christians were taking care of their own. Those who were of Greek descent, many who had converted to Judaism, but they were still Greeks. They were not descendants of Abraham. Their widows were not being fed. And so, what do we do about this? They were overlooked. What happens when your friends overlook you? What happens when you go, when you go to work or you go to school and you hear something that happened last weekend? And you found out all your friends, or people you thought were your friends, went out and did something. They didn't call you, they didn't text you, they didn't Twitter you to tell you. They just went out. You start feeling overlooked. You start feeling unloved. You start feeling like you're really not important, like you're really not part of that group. That's what happened here. The Grecian widows were overlooked. You know, was it because they just weren't important enough? Was it because nobody cared? And it's such a conflict to what we saw in Acts chapter 4, where it said all believers were one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. You know, that's the perfect vision of this new Jesus community. But now we're seeing in Acts chapter 6 that some people aren't participating in that sharing. So we need to realize that there's something very important here, and the Spirit is moving in a very unique way in these circumstances to tell them something in the context of the birth of the church to the scattering of the church. Here's a story now that is going to drive home what is important to the church. The persecution is increasing from warnings to beatings to killings, and they're going to be leaving Jerusalem. This moment in time, this moment in the Jerusalem church in its infancy, the Spirit moves to teach them the mission of the church. 
And I think that's what's going on here. That one last final time before everybody scatters, the Spirit is going to move to show them what really is important and what really the, has to be done, what the work of the church is. And I, I know that the work of the church is a very, very big thing, but I want to talk about two things as we talk about our mission. But let's get back to our mission statement. What is our mission? You know, what, what, if we put our mission statement in words, what would it be? Well, I don't think we have to do that because I think Jesus did it for us. In Matthew 28, we know it as the Great Commission. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even until the very end of the age. That's our mission statement. It's not cheesy by any means. It's not full of senseless words that somebody made up. It tells us who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, and why we're doing it. So let's dive into this mission out of Acts chapter 6. And we see the first thing there is to teach. It's the word. I think we understand this. The apostle said we need to be about the ministry of the word and prayer. I think we get that part of the church. We understand that the gospel message needs to be going out. That, that people who do not know Jesus need to hear about the great redemption story. And this is the part of the Great Commission we understand. Go into all the world and make disciples. And even if we've never been to Africa or Ireland or, or some of the other places Midtown's doing mission trips, we understand that the gospel is supposed to be going out. And so that's, that's the number one thing I want to talk about today. And if there's just two points you remember out of this whole, this whole talk, is, this is the first one, the word. This is what we're supposed to be about, the story of Jesus, the redemptive story that started before the beginning of time that has worked up through the millennia that God stepped into this world first by calling a man, then by calling a people, and then his own son would take that message to the whole world. It's a beautiful story that we can be made children of God, we can be made sons and daughters of the King through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so what is that word that we're going to be teaching? One of the, the things I do when I, when I look at the Bible is I kind of try to look at it in its context. You know, and that's why I talked about chapter 6 between chapters 1 through 5 and 7 through the rest. Because it makes sense in its context to understand what's going on. So what is the context when the apostles say we need to be about the ministry of the word what are they talking about? And the way I think we understand that is to look at what they've already done. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, we see Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. Acts chapter 3, Peter's talking again after healing the crippled beggar. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead, and we are witnesses. These are our words, that we are witnesses to what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. These are the same words we need to be sharing. Acts chapter 4, Peter's talking to the Sanhedrin. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
It's talking about Jesus again. You notice the common recurring theme here? Every chapter, every sermon, it's Jesus. Acts chapter 5, Peter's in the temple courts. This is already after the Sanhedrin had beaten them, flogged them, threw them out and said, don't ever do it again. Peter's standing in the temple saying, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. You know, they never stopped. Even when they were warned not to, they didn't stop. Even when they were beaten, they didn't stop. And what weren't, what were they doing? They were sharing the word. And what is that word? It's the story of Jesus. That's the common theme on every one of these sermons that we're seeing in the book of Acts. It's all about Jesus. And I think Joel talked about that some last week, about it's not about us in our life. It's about Jesus. And the message we communicate is his story. That how he came for us, how he gave himself for us, how he died on the cross, how he was resurrected by the power of God itself. And now he stands at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us as our great high priest. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal story that he lives. And because he lives, we are made free. Because he lives now, the sin that entangled us no longer does so. Because he lives, we have hope of life ever after. Because he lives, we are sons and daughters of God. And because he lives, we need to keep telling that story. So that's the word that we have to share. We have the same responsibilities as first century Christians to share the gospel, the story of Jesus, to do so in the face of ridicule, which is probably the worst persecution most of us are ever going to get. I doubt very few of us are going to get a beating for teaching about Jesus. You know, we might, but we're probably just going to be made fun of. But we've got brothers and sisters sitting in jails in China, in Iran, and in countries all over the world because they simply told their friends and their neighbors about Jesus Christ. And they did that knowing the risk. You know, that's, that's the kind of attitude that we need to have. We don't even have persecution. And yet it's so hard for us to share that story sometime that we need to be talking about Jesus Christ and to be attentive to what the Spirit is doing in our lives. And that's what really is going on here. Joel mentioned last week in chapter 5 that they were told to go back out, you know, by, by the, um, you know, the Lord says, get out there. I know the Sanhedrin says, don't, but I'm telling you to go do it. So they did. They were open, they were attentive to the Spirit who moved them to speak of Jesus in the right situations, in the right times. And we need to be attentive like that to follow his prompting. I heard a beautiful story just this week of somebody uh, was telling me about another somebody. So it's, it's a, you know, like friend of a friend of a friend story. But, but how they had a friend that they were in school with that was just utterly distraught over a very, very difficult problem in their life. And all that this person did was just to make themselves available. Told them that they loved them. You know, offered to pray for them. That's the kind of opportunities we need to take 
to tell people about Jesus. Because when we start showing compassion like that, people are going to start wondering, why are you different? What makes you different? And those are the times that this, that we really need to be in tune with what the Spirit's doing in our lives to say, I'm different because of Jesus. That I'm different because of what He has done in my life. That I am not the same person I was before I met Him. Those are the opportunities we need to take to share the Word. We have the same responsibility that the apostles had in the early church to be involved in the ministry of the Word. And that's something we can all do to tell people about Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation. But there's a second part of this mission. And as we saw in Acts chapter 6, the apostles go, we're going to devote ourselves to ministry of the word. The second part is service. We need to take care of these Grecian widows. We need to make sure that they're getting fed. It's just the right thing to do. And I don't think there was anything intentional about it you know give them the benefit of the doubt the apostles are only 12 guys they've got thousands of people to help serve they were a little overwhelmed you know i know joe's probably forgotten to do things because he's a little overwhelmed chad probably has too you know that's our ministers uh, are involved in a lot of things and so the apostles said we need help so we're going to call seven guys and it's interesting that they all have greek names so just the grace in the early church, of, of a, it was dominated really by Hebrew descent people at this time. But they find seven spirit-filled men of Grecian background to help serve the widows. And the implication is it's to minister all the service to all the widows, to all those in need, to all those who needed food and, and, and rations that the early church could provide. So service is the other thing I want you to remember. I hope you can read my writing. It's not very good. Um, if you can remember just these two things this morning, I'll be happy. That the things we're supposed to be about are telling people the word, the gospel story, the story of Jesus, and serving. Just helping out where we can. When we looked at the Great Commission, we all, I think, remember that part, go ye into all the world, and, you know, we get that, that we're supposed to go preach and teach and baptize. But there's something interesting lower in that passage that that has always intrigued me, where Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything I have commanded you. What did Jesus command the twelve when he was still with them? Think of the list of commandments he gave them. It's tough, isn't it? Because he didn't give them a lot. If you look through the Gospels, and this is something I've searched and searched and searched, Jesus taught his disciples a lot of things. And follow me here, I'm not saying he didn't tell them to do anything. But he taught them a lot of things by doing himself, by serving others. He taught them through the parables. He taught them through his sermons. But he didn't use the word command a lot. He didn't say, okay, here's ten more commandments. You've got the first ten Moses gave you, and here's ten more. And, you know, in this other sermon, he said, okay, here's here's five more commandments. He didn't give a lot of commandments. He didn't say, I command you to do this. But in John chapter 13, this is right before he's going to be crucified. He knows it's it's almost over. That this ministry that he's been building up to, this kingdom that will be established 
is at the door and he leaves his disciples with one, with a commandment and he uses that word here's a command for you a new command i give you you all know this love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another why do we have to love one another jesus goes on by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another it's one of my favorite passages uh, in all of Gospels because it really tells us the kind of people we're supposed to be. Jesus didn't command them to start every service with three songs and a prayer. Jesus didn't command them to do a lot of things. But he says, I command you to love one another. And then he adds a qualifier, love one another as I have loved you. You realize he had just stripped off his clothes and put on the robes of a slave, got down on his hands and knees, and washed the dirty, stinking feet of the apostles. This was the role of one of the most you know, lowest servants in the household. Jesus did that. And hours from now, he will be arrested, beaten, flogged, ridiculed, spit on, nailed to a tree, and die. That's love. And that's the command we've been given. Love one another as I have loved you. It's all about service. It's not our natural instinct. We are self-absorbed people. And this is one thing I appreciate Joel for, for mentioning so many times. It's just, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about what we really want. It, it, it's not, we're not out to make ourselves great. We're, we're not to, to lift ourselves up. We are to serve, but we are self-absorbed people. But I think we all know, deep down, the smart thing tells us, we can do a lot more to spread the gospel with our actions than we can with our words most times. People don't care how much we know. People just want to know that we care. I think that's a cliche I've heard somewhere, but it's still good. You know, people just want to know we love them. And by loving them, we show them Jesus. By loving them, we show them the heart of God. The second greatest commandment, you all know it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus was really big on these really simple but incredibly difficult commandments. The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Everything. He says everything is included in these commandments. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That pretty much sums it up. But they're, are, they're so simple to, to, to hear. And, and in our minds we can say, okay, I'm, I understand that. But it takes a lifetime to even comprehend just how deep those things are. To love God with every ounce of who we are. And to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. You know, Jesus went on to tell the parable, parable of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, I don't have to tell you that. You've heard it a million times. How that... Samaritan who the Jews considered lower than a dog, a half-breed, one that they would not have any association with, went out of his way to help somebody who was beaten and bloody 
and desperately needed his help. You know, we are supposed to love our neighbor, and our neighbor is anyone who needs help. In Acts chapter 6, it's the Grecian widows. In our life, it might be somebody we work with. It might be somebody next door. But somebody out there needs some attention because they are feeling like nobody knows them. Nobody cares. Nobody's there to help. They are feeling overlooked. And that's something we should really be concerned about as Jesus followers. That we shouldn't be overlooking anyone. Anyone that needs help is our neighbor. But the religious people of the day passed right by that beat up, wounded man. You know, they had their reasons. They had to get to the synagogue. They had to get to the temple. They couldn't be unclean if they accidentally touched what might be a dead person. They were very religious. And those of you in my K group know some of my attitudes on religion. Um, when it's done simply to think you've got your checklist good, that you've done everything on the list, then you're good with God, that really, really annoys me. It's very legalistic, very pharisaical. James had an idea about religion that I think we all need to understand. And he says there's really two parts to pure religion, which is acceptable to God which is faultless before God, which is something that God looks on and and puts a smile on his face. But in James 1.27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Now listen to what he says. It's not go to church every Sunday. It's not say your prayers three times a day. Religion which God finds pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and the widows. It's funny how the widow thing keeps coming up all through the Bible. The most helpless of all people in this culture. Pretty helpless in our culture. The orphans, those who have no family, those who can't take care of themselves. And you see that that's the thing that God really cares about. That God's heart breaks for, that God has compassion for, is those who are helpless. That's what we need to be heartbroken about. Those who have no help. Those who need compassion. Because when you realize what the gospel is all about, is we were helpless. We needed compassion. We needed somebody to reach down, pick us up, brush us off, feed us, clothe us. We were orphans until God reached out his hand from the cross. So we can't separate service from the word of God. The service of the word is so important. We have to tell the story of Jesus. But we can't separate that from the service of loving, the service of giving. So that's really everything in a nutshell in Acts chapter 6, or at least what it means to me, that we need to be about the service of the word, and we need to be about the service of those in need. That we need to be telling the story of Jesus And we need to be finding those who need compassion and show it to them. And I like what goes on here. Chapter 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on him. And verse 7 says, and the Grecian widows were satisfied. Now, so if you've got your Bibles open, you know it doesn't say that. You know it doesn't say that the Grecian widows were fed, that everybody got their food and were happy. It says that after they prayed and laid hands on these guys and they went about their work, So the word of God spread. 
That's what it's really all about. That's the mission that we talked about right here. Two parts I'm talking about today are just that we tell the word and we help those who need them, who need it. And the result is the word of God spreads. It's not about us. It's not about really even what's going on here so much as it's about the word of God gets out in this community, in this city, and in this world. So it's not Joel's job, Randy's job. It's not any of the pastors on staff. It's not their job. It's our job. That we are priests. We are royal priesthood. That we have been called to service, to minister to people and show them the way to the Lord. So our mission statement, the way I see it out of of this verse, is we serve and we teach. We share the story of Jesus and we help those in need. Two simple things that take a lifetime to master if we ever do it at all. So let's get back to the mission. Those little three questions I asked. Who are we? We are God's people. We are God's children, a royal priesthood. We are priests to take the word into the world and to serve the needs of the people. What do we do? We share the gospel story and we live a life of mercy. And why do we do it? We do it because we've been chosen and we've been called like Abraham, like Moses, like Peter and John. We have been called into this amazing journey that is the work of the Lord. And in his sovereign will, he has called us to be an agent here in, in this world. That we are God's hands. We are the ones who have to reach out to the ones in need. God has chosen us found a quote, I just want to close with this to think about as we think about what we do as we leave out of here, taking the word and a heart of service. Um, don't even know who this guy is. Maud de Joseph West. But I found it. He said, Acts is a book about people who thrust their feet in the sweat-stained sandals and marched out to conquer the world. They had no visible swords. They had no visible shield. They had no visible commander. Nonetheless, they marched with matchless unconcern into the gates of prison, the valley of persecution, and even the jaws of death. That's the mission the first century church is called to. That's what we're called to today. Father God, I just thank you for Jesus. I can't tell you enough just how wonderful it is that you have called us to be your children and through the sacrifice of Jesus that we have been called into your service. Father, help us as we go from this place to take your word and to share it with others and that let them see the love of Jesus through the love that we show them through our service. And just bless us in all things in this day and as we go out in your work. In Christ's name, amen.